The John Morris Show, episode 136. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. Hey, happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Today in the stack for you for this episode, I've got several things that I want to get into. Uh, going to get into, I, I you guys have, that have listened to the show here, I did this episode several episodes ago where I talked about uh, a guy who had sent me his profile over on Upwork and wanted me to take a look at it. And I talk, talked about some of the things, several of the things that I thought were wrong. Well, I'd kind of chop that up. I do this periodically, chop that up, put it into a video over on YouTube and talked specifically about the part where he only charges $3 an hour for his services. And been <laughs> it's been an interesting response to that video. Uh, first off, I, I if you look at the raw numbers, if you, it's only been up about a day. So if you go over and look at the raw numbers, it's only maybe like 500 views. And so overall, you might not think that's that big of a deal, but I know how videos tend to uh, take off or how they te- the numbers they tend to get in the first few days over my channel and for for this niche and my channel and so forth 500 views in it hasn't even been I actually uploaded last night so it hasn't even been 24 hours yet it is pretty significant for my channel so it's kind of blowing up a little bit over there getting a ton of comments and so one of the things I want to do is I want to go through some of those con- uh, comments and address them because there are some points in there that I want to 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 look at. And then there's other comments from other videos now uh, that I have that I want to kind of take a look at. So I'm going to do that. Uh, that's, that's on do- the docket for today. I also want to get into the Samsung recall. I don't know if you've heard about this, but the Note 7 has had some <laughs> issues with batteries exploding. And so Samsung, it was actually just yesterday that there uh, there was a, an official and formal recall in the United States for the Note 7 from Samsung. I want to get into that because uh one it's it's obviously stuff that's going on in our little tech world, but I think there's some lessons there. This I always try to draw out the lessons from the things that are going on. And there are some very important lessons uh in this Samsung recall that I want to get into. So we're going to get into that in the show. And then Wrap it up. I'm going to talk a little bit about hacking, and I'm really going to focus on the moral ethical side of it. Uh, hacking's been in the news a lot lately with the stuff that's been going on in the U.S. with the political hacks, the the DNC, and some of the other things that have been hacked, and these supposed Russian hackers. And then just in general, anonymous kind of always is tends to be doing something or in the news, and it's been a bit glorified. And so I want to get into kind of the nuance of the moral ethical side of hacking because I got an email the other day from somebody asking me about hacking something and I periodically get these emails <laughs> uh, from people asking about hacking. How, can you teach me how to hack this, that, or the other? Now, I always find it funny that they assume somebody that's a programmer knows how to hack when they're almost two completely different things. It'd be like a asking a dentist to perform knee surgery. But we're going to get into to some of that. And again, I think there's there's some, I know a, a, a guy, a friend of mine who started out as a hacker. Didn't do it for too long, but started out that way. And, and I've had conversations with him about it. And so for any of you out there who are have any sort of mindset about getting into hacking. I, I want to want to talk about that a little bit. So that's what's on the docket for today. That's what we're going to get into. Before we do that, though, I want to, I'm, I'm formally issuing you a challenge. So if you're brand new to the show or semi brand new to the show, then I want to, I want to challenge you. I'm, I'm calling this the 10 episode challenge. And I've, I've heard people do this uh, on other podcasts. And at first it can sound a little cheesy, but I've actually done it with a couple of the podcasts and it really does make sense for you as the listener. And so the idea here is, if you're new or semi-new to the show, maybe you only listen to an episode or two or three, you know, haven't been around here a year or however long some of you have, then I want to challenge you to go back and listen to the last 10 episodes of the show. 
And the reason that I want you to do that is because a lot of times what I talk about in the show, I'll reference past episodes. As a matter of fact, I just did that, not just a few minutes ago. And if you don't have the proper context for what I'm talking about, then a lot of the show can kind of go over your head and not really make sense because I'm referencing something that I talked about in another episode. Now, a lot of the episodes, they, they kind of tend to go together with the other episodes. It's kind of a chain of thinking and, and, and covering different things and, and topics that goes along with the episodes. So I really want you to, to, to be on the same page with the rest of us in terms of listening to the podcast and understand where we're going with things if you're brand new to the show. The other thing is it's going to give you a really good idea of if this is something, if this is a show that you want to subscribe to long term. And so if you're someone who's thinking about subscribing or, you're, again, you're brand new to the show, go listen to 10 episodes. And by that time, you'll you'll have an understanding of whether or not this is a show that you want to listen to, you want to be subscribed to and, and get all the notifications and so forth. And then hopefully at that point, you'll subscribe. So that's the 10 episode challenge that I want to issue to you. Now, also, if you're brand new to the show uh, and you want to learn how to get subscribed there's a really simple way. I often mention all the different, uh, we're on uh, Google Play Music for Android, we're on iTunes for Apple devices, we're on SoundCloud, which is kind of available everywhere. But the easiest way to find all that stuff is you can just go to johnmorrisonline.com slash johnmorrisshow, or if you just go to johnmorrisonline.com, you'll see a link in the navigation for the podcast. Just click on that, and you'll be taken to uh, the page on my website that has all the links, has past episodes, it has everything that you need to be able to access the podcast and all the different devices and so forth. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you're new or maybe you've been listening for a while and you haven't been, you haven't got subscribed yet, go ahead and head on over there and get that taken care of. All right. Coming up next, we're gonna get. I'm gonna take a little break, and then coming up, we're gonna get into our first little segment. And I'm gonna be talk responding to some of the comments that I've got on the video that I did about this developer who was charging only $3 an hour. Plus, I'm going to get into some of the other questions that I've gotten on other YouTube videos and so forth. So that's what's coming up next. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. You know, it's kind of funny. Every time someone uh, joins my email list, I ask them a very specific question. I ask them, what would you say if I could, if I told you I could teach you how to master PHP in the next few months. And I get a lot of interesting answers. Now I get a lot of people who, you know, they say, sign me up. Where do I start? Let's do this, right? I get people who are a little more skeptical who say, um, it would depend on the details, you know, if it costs, what it costs, etc. And then I get people probably on the most skeptical end who are like, well, what does it exactly take to master PHP? And all these are really great questions. Now, let me ask you this, since you're here listening. What if I told you that you could get started learning everything that you need to know to master PHP, all the foundational skills that are necessary to move you out of maybe that job that you're working right now that you don't really like and just get yourself into an IT career? Oftentimes, people do it making more than they were making before. But even if you could just make the same and start doing it in an IT career as opposed to like I used to do, which was wearing my little chicken costume walling around in Greece all day cooking chicken, imagine if you could learn what you needed to learn, get the foundational skills you needed to start that process all for just seven bucks. What would your answer be? I hope your answer would be a resounding yes, because I know I'm going to go all keep off my grass old man on you, but I remember what it was like when I was coming up and the option to get all of that training in one place simply didn't even exist at that time, unless you wanted to read through a 500 page PHP manual, which I didn't want to do. But today, not only is that option available, but it's only going to cost you seven bucks to get started. So if you're someone who's serious about learning PHP, about making a career in the IT industry, about getting out of whatever you're doing now that you might hate and getting into the tech industry, you don't have to 
be a PHP coder forever. That's the thing. You can, if you want to get in all the fancy new stuff, Node and Python, and well, Python's not new, but Django and all this other stuff, all these frameworks and everything that's out there, that's fine. But one of the fastest ways to get out of where you're at now and into a an IT career is through PHP because it's simply the most popular server-side backend language that you're going to find. The job opportunities are huge, and there's companies out, out there that are just starving for PHP developers. Clients out there starving for people who can create PHP applications. So again, if you're someone who's serious about making that happen, then I want to encourage you to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com php. You can start taking module one of my PHP course for just seven bucks. So today, skip the latte from Starbucks, head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash php, and let's get started with your PHP career. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. This segment, I want to get into some of the comments that I've gotten over on YouTube. Uh, I want to start with the latest video that I did, which was related to, uh, it was an episode that I actually done here on the podcast that I kind of shortened up and condensed up and turned into a YouTube video. And it talks specifically about this developer who was only charging $3 an hour for his services. And so, like I said in the opening, that video has been getting quite a lot of attention in just the first day that it's been uploaded. And I'm getting a ton of comments on it. So I wanted to go through and address some of these. So the first one that I wanted to address was, I think, probably the most obvious question. And that was after going through and talking about how charging $3 an hour is pretty crazy. Uh, the, the, the obvious question at the end of that is, well, what should he charge? And so somebody did ask me that. And I have two parts to my answer to that. First off is, is if you're going to stick with the hourly rate, so there's the hourly rate and then there's the project rate type thing. And I'm going to talk about here in a minute why I really recommend getting away from the hourly rate. However, if you're going to stick with the hourly rate, I know some of you are just stubborn and you're just, I'm going to stick with the hourly rate. I'm going to uh, at least offer it. Then I can tell you my own experience. And my own experience is, is I started out at $25 an hour. Now, if I look back on that and I, I to me, it, that actually seems low too, now that I look back on it. But at the time, $25 an hour was more than I had ever made in my life at any job. I mean, the most I'd ever made at a job up, up to that point was probably $15 an hour. So charging $25 an hour was kind of a big deal for me. I, it, was a, it was a bit of a leap. And I started working at that rate. It didn't take me very long to figure out that that was a low rate. I was getting tons and tons of people trying to hire me. And so it, it was probably maybe a couple months and I moved up to $50 an hour. And at that rate, I really didn't have any too many people balk at hiring me either. $50 an hour was a fairly acceptable rate. And, but so I, I kept getting a lot of work and finally I moved up to $100 an hour before I really, I have... If you've listened to the show for a while, again, this is the importance of the 10 episode challenge, but you know, I don't do as much freelance work anymore. I, I kind of have one really big client that I work with on retainer, takes up most of my time. And then the rest of the time, free time I do have, I spend doing this. I spend with you guys. So, uh, I don't have a, I don't take a ton of clients, but before that happened, I had moved up to about a hundred dollars an hour and at $100 an hour, people do tend to <laughs> be a little more picky. They're, they're, they do, there are some people who balk at that, and they, they realize that that's quite a bit of money. And so they, they're, really, they're really specific and, and controlled with the hours they give you. I'm sure there's some people who saw that rate on my profile and didn't even bother to, to hire me or whatever, but, or contact me or whatever. But the... The big thing or the important thing out of all of it is as I moved up, I made more money. Now, I, I know at first you're like, well, duh. But the point being, I didn't lose so many hours. I did lose some hours, 
but I didn't lose so many hours that I made less money than I was making before. And this is what I, this is the, the mindset I always try to get developers into to understand, uh, when we talk about making more and working less, the, the secret to that (laughs) is charging more. Again, I know that might seem obvious, but I find there's a lot of developers who that doesn't really click because they assume that if they charge more, that they're going to just get less clients or, or they'll get no clients and they're going to end up making less money. Uh, or they, the, they don't really think through the fact that, you know, if you are, are charging $25 an hour versus $100 an hour, you have to get four times the hours to make what you would make at $100 an hour. It doesn't uh, it doesn't click just how significant that is. The difference between uh $5 or 5 hours and 20 hours. The reality is is a lot of clients in a month's time you might, you know, whether it's 20 or 40 or you're not going to get that four times the hours. You're not going to get that 20 hours. It's a lot easier to get that 5 hours than it is that 20 hours. Even if you're still you're charging a hundred dollars an hour, and clients should be in picky with time. Still, much easier to get that five hours than it is that twenty hours. Just again, it's how significant of a difference that is in terms of hours and working with clients. And so, the way you get to working or making more and working less is by what you charge. And so, uh, again, I. I think most freelancers, if you go on most profiles and so forth, they're charging less than what they should be or could be. And so when you get into how much should someone charge, you know, again, it all depends on your market and so forth, but you can do the research. The thing that you don't want to do, the, the two things that you really don't want to do is you don't want to just a guess at a price. You don't just want to throw some price out there and, and not really have any reason why. You want to look at what other people that are offering those same services are charging, what the high limit is, what the low limit is, and you want to make sure you're in that range. So that's the first thing. You don't want to guess. The second thing is you don't want to use XYZ excuse for why you can't charge a particular rate. And I hear them all. I hear it. it all f- ranges of excuses. This one, uh, in this particular case, I would imagine would be, well, I'm from this particular country. And the country's always, it's always, it's Pakistan or it's India or it's here or there or wherever. They think that because they live in that particular country that they can only charge X number of dollars. Well, I can tell you, I know there's, again, there are clients out there who do all of this research and so forth, right? And they and they specifically look for developers from certain countries that they know are going to charge less and etc. Like there's don't get me wrong, there's clients that do this. But the kind of average client that's going to come on a site like that and put up a a project probably doesn't know what your exchange rate is. Probably doesn't know what the standard of or cost of living is where you are probably really doesn't think that much about uh, the country you're from in terms of what you're charging. And most importantly, if your, uh, if your portfolio, your description, your picture, your headline, if your job history, if your review, if all of that stuff looks really good, there's no red flags uh, and it, it looks it's a really great profile. The fact that in one line it says from India or Pakistan or Afghanistan or wherever, whatever country you want to use as a, as a scapegoat, the fact that that one line says that isn't going to affect the, everything else. It's not going to make them just automatically go, oh, well, three bucks an hour, that's, that's the max for you, bud. Sorry. That's, that's not how it works. So again, there are clients that do that. Don't get me wrong. But I my, my opinion is the majority of clients aren't going to be that way. They're, they're, going, they're going to be more concerned about can you do the job or not? And is your price range in the general market of 
what it is for every for me to hire somebody else. So again, how much should you charge? What well, what does the market say? You know, what again, there's an element of what you're comfortable with, what you're you're worth, what you can deliver on and so forth, but it's not $3 an hour. I it's like I said in that episode, if you haven't listened to the episode, $3 an hour is actually a red flag. Because what people believe is if you're only charging $3 an hour, you must be only worth $3 an hour. And I'm not going to let someone who I'm thinking is only worth $3 an hour work on a project that's really, really important to me. It's not all about cost. That's the thing that you have to understand. It's not all about cost. It's also about will this person actually do a good job? And $3 an hour sends a strong signal that you won't. The flip, so the, the second part of this then has to do with getting off of the hourly rate. And the reason I say get off of the hour, hourly rate is, is there's a couple reasons. First off, again, most, I think most projects that you're going to work on. Now, it's different if someone is on one of these sites looking to hire somebody on like a full-time ongoing basis as a kind of general web developer. And that is out there. But most of what I see on these on these sites and and what I get contacted about is people want to hire you for a one-time kind of project. That that tends to be what the majority of this kind of stuff is. And in that sense, an hourly rate makes it doesn't make any sense for you or them. And so what clients ultimately care about are end results. Right? They 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 want something built. They want a membership site. They want a form. They want this. They want that. That's what most of what you're going to see out there. And so it's just purely from a marketing, uh, speaking the client's language uh, approach that focusing on end results and, and charging a one-time fee versus an hourly rate makes more sense because it's right in line with what they're already wanting. I want this membership site built how much is it going to cost me? And so again, I always harp on focusing on end results because that's the that's the way the client thinks. They don't care what languages you know. They don't really care about accreditations or certifications or the tests, etc. All that stuff has some impact, but they want to know if you can build the thing that they want built. That's why your portfolio is incredibly important and that's why targeting an end result in your title in your description in everything that you do is incredibly important i build membership sites or i build uh, multi-page forms or i build social networks or i build this or i build that whatever the end result is that's what they care about that's what they want that's the language they speak if my profile when I was on Upwork didn't even mention the languages I knew in my description. Didn't even mention them, which is so against what most developers do. But it's because I knew that the clients didn't care. I never had a client say, hey, by the way, what languages do you know? It just never happened. They don't, they don't really care. They, they just want to know that I can complete the project. Now, the second part of that is that it makes complete sense for you as the developer. And here's why. I've talked about this before, but uh, one of the services I offered when I was doing a lot more freelancing was what I called a clone. And essentially what happened is I had been hired by some big name clients. I'd built a site for Inc., uh, Inc. Magazine. I'd built a site for uh, Michael Hyatt, the, the big client that I work with now. It was a fairly well-known in certain circles in the WordPress community. I'd built some sites for some fairly well-known people. Lewis Howes I worked on some stuff for, uh, even Tim Ferriss, etc. So I had built these sites, and people, what, what happens is people see those sites, and they say they really like them. They're members of those sites. And a lot of these guys or these companies were online marketers themselves. So the people that were joining those sites were also online marketers. And they would look at that site and they would say, hey, I want to build my site like that. And so they would figure out that I was the one that built it. They would come to me and say, hey, can you build me a site like so-and-so site? 
And so I, I got enough of that that I created a service called a clone. And I charged $3,000 for that clone. Well, building the site, because I'd already built it for the person before, I had all of the code already. And I had, you know, done the, at after very quickly, I'd done it a couple times. I developed a process for implementing these and, and, you know, changing it enough so it doesn't look like the exact same site, but it's got the same basic framework to it. I had all the code. I had the implementation process. I already had everything. So building the, actually building the site only took me a couple hours. At most, it might take me four or five hours to build one of those sites. Again, these are WordPress sites. The thing that I, that I, I actually wrote by hand myself was the theme. So it was a WordPress theme that was being implemented. And again, I just, I had it all. I knew I had the theme. I knew what to, how to implement it, et cetera. So I could build these very, very quickly for clients. And I charged $3,000 for these. What they were paying for wasn't my time. This is, that's the mindset that you really got to get off of. They are not paying me for my time. They're paying me for my skill. And in this particular case, they're paying me for access. I was the only one that had that code. I was the only place that they could get it. And so they're paying for access. And so the fact that it only took me four or five hours to build it wasn't, they didn't even ask. They didn't even care. In fact, the fact that I could build them quickly was an advantage for me. So if you look at the hourly rate, four to five hours and getting $3,000, I was making anywhere from $500 to $750 an hour. Like <laughs> five times what my actual hourly rate was at the time. So it makes sense for you as the developer to also focus on end results and focus on the end product you're delivering and the value of it, not how many hours it takes you to build it. Oh, it's like uh, if you hire someone to build your house, you know, you, you care what the time is, but you don't pay them. You don't pay the actual overall contractor by the hour. You don't care. You're not concerned about the number of hours they put in. If they could build it in a day, that'd be better. You'd probably pay more for them to build it in a day. What you care about is what it what the house is actually like when it's done. And they charge a certain price for that. And however many hours it takes them is however many hours it takes them. You don't really care. What you care about is the end product. So that's the mindset to really get into is charging for end products, not so focused that they're not paying you for your time. The thing is, is as you get more skilled, you're going to get quicker. You're going to be able to do things much faster. And if you stay at a low rate, you're going to find that you make, you start making less and less money because you're doing things faster and you never want to get into the mindset of, well, let me slow down or let me take longer so I don't short myself money. No. The, the, the solution to that is to up your price. That way you're not, you're not being dishonest with your client. You're doing it as fast as you can. You're doing it at the same speed you would, but they know up front you charge more. So they know there's no, there's no shadiness there. Okay. So again, how much should he charge? He, he, he should charge more than $3. He should really focus on end results. And then he should look at what the market what the market out there is and not worry one bit about where he's from, what his skill set is, etc. If you can deliver the end product, you can deliver it at a a similar level of quality, similar level of speed as what others are doing it for, you can charge what they're charging. You know, maybe instead of a clone for 3000, why don't we'll do it for 2000? Now you're out competing me on price, but you're still making 2 grand, right? So Use the market as a guide to, to figure out what your pricing should be. Another one I want to address here, I know I, I took a, lot, a long time on that one, but I really wanted to hit, hit hard on that one. But another one I want to address here is uh, I got this comment on my Is PHP Dead video. So that's another video that has really kind of drawn a lot of attention. And I think this is a, 
So anyway, I don't think this is a kind of a in-your-face comment. I don't think this person is trying to be uh, trying to be mean or whatever, trying to be sarcastic. But I do want to, again, I want to, I see this all the time. Every time I see it, I want to take a hammer to it and and smash this this thinking because I think it's off base. So on that PHP is PHP dead video where I talked about how PHP isn't, I got a comment that says, I'm learning Ruby now and it's going to become popular again since Ruby on Rails 5 has great features calling developers attentions like attention cable. I'm going to, I'm going to say this out there or or throw this out there or put this out there. And I know some of you are going to disagree and that's fine. Hit me up in the comments and let's, let's, let's go at it a little bit or let's talk about it. But I believe is my firm belief that what makes a language popular has nothing to do with developers. I don't think it's developers that make a language popular. Really don't. I think it's the end user that makes a language popular and not because, and I I literally just got saying end users don't care about languages. They don't. It's not because they care about languages. It's because they care about ease, (laughs) ease of implementation. And so what leads to a language being popular is what applications that are really popular are built on particular languages. What business services are available for particular languages? What support is available? How many developers know a particular language, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So developers liking a language, I don't think has anything to do with how that, that language become, how popular that language is. If that were the case, I doubt PHP would be the mo- one of the most popular languages out there in terms of actual implementation and use. Because it seems like there's a lot of people that love to hate PHP. You know, when I get comments on these videos, it's fairly split, actually. You would think as, as popular as PHP is in terms of how much it's used on different sites, that the comments for a video for, for Is PHP Dead would be mostly positive towards PHP. But it's actually, I find it's fairly split which shows you that there's a lot of people that don't like PHP, a lot of developers that don't like PHP. But yet, PHP still just crushes everybody in market share. Why? Because WordPress runs on PHP. That's a, it's a huge thing. 26% of all websites are powered by WordPress. So, and that's built on PHP. That means that web servers have to have the infrastructure in place to support WordPress. When one application powers 26% of all websites, that's your big rock. Think about it if you're a web server. That's the big chunk. That's the one you have to serve best. And when you see that, just the application just continuing to grow, it's as the WordPress is being used by 20% of all new websites that are being created. So the number's not going down, it's going up. So when you're a web server and you see that, you you know that that's your big rock, that's the what you need to support. And the infrastructure necessary for that is PHP, MySQL, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's it's you know, everything that 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 we've talked about. And so now you see web servers all that have PHP available by default, right? They have MySQL. They have everything necessary to run this particular application. Oh, and by the way, it's not the only one, right? There are other applications out there that for e-commerce, there's other CMSs, blogging software, et cetera. So that to me is what drives the popularity of a language, not that developers like it. Now, again, there's some gray area about, well, if developers like it, then they'll build their applications in that language and that, yes, but it's got some catching up to do. The fact that (laughs) Ruby on Rails 5 has this one new feature doesn't mean that it's suddenly going to become this super popular thing. It might become a super popular thing. 
that's just not why. So, again, when you're looking at this and analyzing it, it's really easy to get caught up on the technical side of things. To, to oh, this, this new feature and this language is better at this and that and the other. So it's going to become the next. That's not how it works. It has to do with the end user and what they want. And right now, what they want are the applications that happen to. Again, they don't care. Right? WordPress could have built, been built on Ruby on Rails. Ruby on Rails is what would be popular then. It just wasn't. So it is, it, is, it is coincidence in a lot of ways. Now, there's some things you could say about the way PHP works, and there may be some advantages in terms of it being more popular. Not necessarily a better language, but it being more popular. You could get into all that. But at the end of the day, if WordPress or all these applications were built on a particular language, that language is probably what would be most popular. All right. So I'm, I'm going to leave the comments there. I want to make sure and get into, uh, I've spent a lot of time on this. I want to make sure and get into talking about Samsung. And if we have time, I'll get into uh, the hacking thing. So I'm going to take a break. When I get back, I'll get into the Samsung recall and the lessons to be learned from this kind of fiasco. You're listening to John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. You know, one of the big mistakes that I see a lot of developers make is they make learning how to code much harder than it has to be. For example, I see a lot of developers who think the list of skills that they need to learn to master PHP is pages and pages and pages long. It's not. Now, I've said this before, and I will definitely say it again, but there's a foundational set of skills that you need to learn in order to be functional as a PHP developer, meaning that you can execute on projects and get paid. This is the fallacy that is so prevalent in the PHP developer community. That there's this ideal set of skills that you have to learn and that you have to be the absolute greatest developer in the history of mankind in order to be able to get paid to code. You don't. You simply need to be able to execute on projects. I talk about end results all the time. You need to be able to deliver end results to clients because that's ultimately what they want. But when you focus on these foundational skills, and learning only those first, the things that will allow you to execute on projects, what you realize is that you can start getting paid to code much faster than you probably ever thought because you haven't set this idealistic, unattainable bar for yourself to reach before you allow yourself to take paid work. You can start now when you can execute on a deliverable. When you can complete a, a single project, when you can create a contact form or a business website, when you can execute on that, you can start. And you can start then building the life that you wanted that you got into this all for the, in the first place. Instead of continuing to slave away at some job making somebody else rich. Anyway, you can learn these skills in my free course. The Beginner's Guide to PHP, which you can enroll in at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. And it's going to teach you these foundational skills so you can get started right now. Again, it's a completely free course that you can take at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. Don't wait on this. Head over there right now and get started building that life. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. This segment, I want to get into the Samsung recall. So if you haven't heard about this, let me briefly give you a recap, and then I want to really dig into the lessons that we can learn from this. So it was not that long ago, just over a month, August 2nd, 2016, that Samsung launched its Galaxy Note 7. So it kind of, it launched it and said it was going to be available on August 2nd. August 3rd, it was available for pre-order in the U.S. 
August 11th, it was launched in India, and the device officially went on sale in the U.S., both via online and offline channels, on August 19th. It was six days after that, August 25th, 2016, that the first incident uh, occurred, and that was a Galaxy Note 7 that exploded and caught fire while charging. And that incident took place in China. Now, if you haven't seen any of the pictures of this, it's worth going on Google and, and looking this up. I mean, these phones, this isn't some small thing. <laughs> these things are exploding and, and basically just going up in flames and uh, and burning half to most of the phone. So it's it's not some small thing. It's it's actually there's been there <laughs> have been reports of there's some guy that got he was sleeping while it was charging um in his hotel room and his phone exploded and burst into flames and he actually was left with burns from it so it's a it's a it's a pretty big deal and so by September 2nd so just a few weeks ago there were 35 reported cases of these phones exploding and it, Samsung had to officially acknowledge the problem and they announced a recall program they blamed they found out and then blamed the the problem on the batteries and so um it happened to do with their battery supplier and so they they announced the recall there are more and more cases that are happening and then just just a couple days like two days ago or, or matter of fact it was yesterday um, the U.S. and Samsung officially instituted a formal recall on the Galaxy Note 7. And uh, it's now just a, it's an official U.S. thing that, that's happening with in conjunction with the government and so forth. And this is no, so this is no small recall either. They're estimating that, they're reporting that this is likely the largest recall in history ever with an estimated 2.5 million devices that will be recalled and replaced, which will cost Samsung nearly a billion dollars to do. And as you might imagine, as a result of this, their their stock price has dropped. It's the lowest it's been in, in uh, I think, several, a long time. Um, and it's a big deal. And so there's a few lessons that, I think we as developers can draw from this. There's a couple of things that when I look at this immediately come to mind for me that I think are important for us to learn from this stuff. Because I think it a company this big having this big of a problem shows you a few things. So the first one is if you couple this with the stuff that we, we had talked about in an earlier podcast, again, those of you that are new, when I talk about the 10 episode challenge, this is why, because I'm I'm constantly referencing other episodes, but we talked about the stuff that had happened with Delta and all the issues that they were having and how it was a software problem. They were running on really, really old software and eventually that software just gave out and, and had a bunch of issues. They're trying to tie it with new stuff and all the mobile stuff and it just became this big mess and that's why they had all the problems that they had. So you couple this with that couple it with all the the incidents of hacking that we've had going on for me here in the U.S. for to the U.S. government, but I'm sure around the world as well. All the major technical fiascos and incidents that we've had and how much they've disrupted the world. It shows you just how crucial technology has become, how dependent we are on it and don't necessarily realize it. Now, I know that's not necessarily a shocking uh, revelation, but it's a reminder of how integrated technology is into every part of our life and how destructive it is when it fails. And the point I want to make or the lesson I think we can learn from this is I think this is just the beginning, right? We're going to continue to go down this path. I mean, the Delta thing is a is a stark reminder. It's a lesson, and I promise you that there will be companies out there who see that and learn from that and go, oh, crap, we're in a similar situation. 
we need to get our stuff together and and start making these changes and so forth. And as time goes on, I mean, the trend is obvious. There's no stopping it now. We're our lives are just going to become more and more integrated with technology. So I bring that up because I I get a peop a lot of people who contact me and are worried about their particular niche. You know, the whole idea of is PHP dead? There are PHP developers out there who are legitimately worried that five, 10 years from now, PHP not, might not be a thing, might not be that popular, and learning it is a waste of time. I'm sure it's true for people learning Node or JavaScript or, or any other language or technology out there are worried about their particular niche that they're in. And if you're worried, if, if you're one of those people, you're worried about your niche, the concept, the, 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 the idea that I want to communicate to you is that this idea that rising tides swell all ships, meaning technology as a whole is continuing to grow and advance. And generally that means that whatever niche you're in, it's not, it, even if it becomes less of percentage of overall market share, because the market itself is just continuing to grow and grow and grow, there's probably going to be more opportunity in your niche, not less. You know, so as an example, PHP may have 82% market share now. Let's say in five years, it suddenly only has 40% market share. Well, if that 80% market share is of 1 million websites, then you know, that's 800,000 websites. If in five years, 40% is of 2 million websites, that's still 800,000 websites. So it, you can lose market share, yet still grow in the total number, the raw number, using the that particular language. That's what I think is going to continue to happen for all niches. So the language you're learning or the the skills you're learning could be 2% market share, but 2% market share of a growing market means in the future, there's going to be more opportunity for you. And so again, if you're worried about the particular niche that you're in, I firmly believe that it's probably most likely only going to grow. You know, uh, there is there is something to be, be, be said for, you know, if... Uh, certain things could phase in and phase out, and there are things that come and go and so forth. But, you know, there are still languages that were created 20, 30, 40 years ago, or maybe not 40, but m decades ago that still have support today because there's this small group of people that use them and they're re really necessary for these particular things. And technology has become, overall has grown, and so that small percentage is still a lot of people. So. Uh, it's just going to continue to grow and chances are whatever niche you're in is going to get bigger raw number wise, not smaller. And the thing that I always think about, I just keep thinking about my kids. I mean, my, my four-year-old is a whiz kid with a smartphone. He can go from an Android to Apple, to a tablet, to a, to a laptop. No problem. He knows how to use every single one. He knows the ways in which they're different. He can, I mean, it's weird to watch my, <laughs> my wife will ask me something about uh, her phone. Like, how do, how do I take these uh, icons and put them into a folder or whatever? And then some other, you know, next day I'll be watching my, my four-year-old and he'll be, he'll be grabbing different apps and putting them into, he'll create a new folder and be putting them into a folder. And he like already knows how he wants them organized and so forth. So he'll be moving them. You know, she'll ask me, how do I move this? I want, this one's on the second page, this app. I want it over on my home screen. Right? Well, my four-year-old will be over there dragging apps around. He's just a whiz kid when it comes to technology. I imagine most kids are that way because they've been so exposed to it. And so, again, it's a sign that it's just going to keep going. I heard the other day from somebody that Apple just hired a big executive from Time Warner. And there's kind of rumors and murmurs that they may make a run at a TV subscription service to complement their music subscription. So uh, like Sling TV or PlayStation View, etc. So 
my point is is that it's all going our way right technology it's all moving in our direction to our benefit we're getting more technology we as developers are becoming more in demand not less the key though is now is the time to get in there's such a big opportunity i still believe i've said this again in past episodes and i've kind of gone into why i think this but i still believe we haven't seen anything yet we're still ahead of the huge wave when that 4 year old is you know 18 19 20 years old and they don't even the, my kids they don't know what regular tv is they watch youtube they watch you know they watch netflix they watch hulu they don't understand what a cable box is they have there's just no clue when that person is 18, 19, 20 years old, that's when I think the real wave is going to hit. And and it's all going our way. But now is the time to get ahead of that wave. To, to buckle down and get serious. To learn this stuff and position yourself to take advantage. Now is the time to do it. The second thing, and probably the biggest thing, lesson that I think we can learn from Samsung is those of you who are still hesitant about putting yourself out there or hesitant to ship whatever project you might be working on or to just go for it as a freelancer to try and go get hired at a company who who are just have this fear of putting yourself out there worried about what others will say are you capable enough will you know how will i perform etc Samsung is one of the largest tech companies on the planet. And they, I mean, teams and teams and teams of developers working on this stuff. And they just made a huge mistake. I mean, this is not some small thing that's happened. 2.5 million devices, a billion dollars to take care of this. It's massive. The largest in history, supposedly. Yet, and, and look, right now it looks bleak. Their stock's down. Like, it looks bad. So it's probably weird for me to make this point right now. Like I should probably be making the other point of, you really need to make sure your stuff works. I mean, I'm sure that's what a lot of people are doing. But to me, I, I see the opposite. Because I know how this works. The truth is, in a year, most likely, nobody will remember. It'll be just like this vague, oh yeah, you remember when the Note 7 had that problem or whatever? Oh yeah, wasn't it a battery or something? Like, Yeah, I kind of remember. Like, nobody will care. Nobody will remember. Sure, the guy who got burnt, the people who had phones blow, blow up on them, they'll remember. But that's a very, I mean, 35, 35 people out of the millions and millions that had these devices. And even those people, they get their devices replaced. I imagine Samsung's probably going to have to pay for some medical bills and, and so forth. There'll be some of that, but the amount of people that really remember and care all that much is going to be very, very small a year from now. The stock will be back up. We'll probably be hearing about Note 8. There'll be some talk of, hey, is the battery going to explode this time? But people will still buy these devices by the millions. Yet, this isn't some small thing. It's huge. It's a massive failure that has happened. Yet a year from now, eh, nobody will care. And the point is, is that everybody, even the biggest tech companies on the planet, with teams and teams of developers, everybody in this industry makes mistakes. The key is how you deal with it. When I first started freelancing, the first two clients I had, I failed to deliver on the product project. I One was about halfway through. One was probably about three quarters of the way through. I got to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't deliver. I couldn't get it done for them. And... For a lot of people, that could be, oh my gosh, like what do I do now? But if you do right by people, I gave them the code I had up to that point. I didn't charge them anything for what I had done. 
I apologize profusely. I So they paid nothing. They got a certain amount of code that they could then take to somebody else to finish off. So I did everything I could to do right by them. Samsung is trying to do their recalling the devices. They're going to replace the uh, devices for free. You know, they're, they've made changes already to their battery supply chain where they're going to get all of their batteries now from this one supplier that has been reliable. If you do that kind of thing, if you do right by people, then they'll mostly be understanding. They'll understand that things happen and they'll move on and pretty quickly they'll forget about it. Uh, what's, what's funny is app, Samsung's not the only one. I, just reading through the headlines, tech headlines, there's some pretty funny stuff. So, uh, Apple iMessage is having some issues in the, the latest version of iOS. So there's, uh, there's a headline about uh, iMessage surfacing porn GIFs. There's Nazi symbols in iMessage, apparently. Their Apple had to ban the search for butt. <laughs> in B-U-T-T in iMessage after there were My Little po Pony porn showing up. Like, all of these companies, again, teams and teams of developers working on this stuff, and they have these issues. Everybody makes mistakes. But if you do write from pe by people, they'll forget about it. They'll get over it. So what this means for you, again, coupled from with what I said before about how Technology is moving our way and the wave is coming. You need to get yourself out there now. You need to put yourself out there now. Now is the time. And quit worrying about what other people will think or what you might break or what might happen. All these what ifs that could happen. Now, yes, don't be purposefully sloppy. Don't be lazy. But don't be gun shy either. Now is the time to get ahead of that wave. And if you're honest, you work hard, and you do right by people, then you're going to be just fine. You'll make it through. You'll get to the other side. And if you follow this show and listen to the stuff I'm telling you, you'll be able to position yourself to benefit from that wave that is coming. Now, as I mentioned, I think that you know rising tides swell all ships. I think that technology is only going to continue to grow. And when I look at that kind of stuff, I look at where is the best place to position myself to benefit. And when I do that, it seems absolutely undeniably clear to me. PHP is a language that has 82% of the market share. And it's been increasing, not decreasing. So when I look at technology and its growth, where is most of that growth likely to happen? Not only that, WordPress is continuing to grow and it's built on PHP. So all signs are pointing to the fact that PHP as a language is going to continue to get more popular in terms of cl actual clients using it, not less. So as that technology grows, the, the uh, segment that stands, stands to benefit most is PHP-related products, services, teaching, etc. And so I'm positioning myself for that. And I, I'm making sure that I'm putting myself in a position for when teams and teams of developers come online to want to learn PHP, I'm someone that they would look for. When teams and teams of clients come on board and they're looking for applications that are ultimately built on PHP, I'm positioned to take advantage of that. And I think you should do the same. Of course, you can't do that if you don't know PHP. And so that's why I strongly recommend you get in before the wave hits and learn PHP. And you can get started doing that for just seven bucks with my course, PHP 101 at johnmorrisonline.com slash PHP. It's going to give you the foundational skills that you need to get started. Yes, there's other modules available and there's ways for you to access them and so forth. But in that first module, you're going to learn how to build an actual application, a contact form. And th that sounds so simple to us as developers, but that is the foundation of what sites like 
SurveyMonkey and Wufu Forms and uh, WordPress plugins like Gravity Forms and Ninja Forms and all these huge applications that have hundreds of thousands of users that are doing millions in revenue, companies that are valued at billions of dollars. The core thing that they do is online forms. And in just 11 lessons for just seven bucks, you're going to learn how to build that con contact form. So again, johnmorrisonline.com slash PHP. Head on over there, get enrolled in the course, and start positioning yourself to take advantage of what's coming. All right, I'm going to wrap it up there. I don't have time to get into, we're pushing about an hour now. Uh, I don't have time to get into the hacking thing. We'll push that to the next episode and get into that because I do want to talk about it. It's become really, really popular. It's uh, Hacking's kind of become glorified a little bit, and yet I think it's incredibly dangerous and a complete waste of time for you as a developer. And so I want to get into why that is and 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 kind of hopefully steer you away from getting into uh, that sort of tech <laughs> that tech segment of becoming a hacker. All right, so that'll do it for this episode. As I mentioned at the beginning, if you want to subscribe or get access to past lessons, you can go to johnmorrisonline.com slash johnmorrisshow or just go to the website and click the podcast link in the menu. That'll take you over there. You can get subscribed, find past episodes, etc. Also, if you're new to the show, make sure and do that 10-episode challenge. I've already mentioned several different episodes in this podcast that if you haven't listened to, you probably are going to be a little lost about what I'm talking about. So take that 10-episode uh, challenge, go back and listen to all 10 episodes, and when you're satisfied the, that I can deliver for you week in and week out, make sure and subscribe as well. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.